Hi everyone. I realized I was so excited to get into the details of our next subject that I left out the part where I explain who she is. For today, we're talking about Aileen Wernos. Aileen Wernos was a serial killer who shot and killed seven men between 1989 and 1990 along the highways of Central Florida in the U.S. She was a sex worker, and often her victims were also her clients. Aileen is arguably the most famous American serial killer. The following episode contains sensitive information regarding sexual and physical abuse against minors and physical abuse against the elderly. Please take care while listening. Hi, thank you. Why do I always start off so weird? <laughs> Thank you for listening to the Bloody Podcast. My name is Lori Roggenkamp. I'm Maria Felix. Hi, I'm Cash Abdumalik. Hey. How's it going? Good. How are you? Oh, good. <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're doing great. We're uh, in what? Week five of quarantine? I think week it's four. either week three or week 87. I can't, <laughs> I can't figure it out. Um, I think it's week four based on my friend's uh, workout videos that she sends every day. She like is chronicling the dates. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. that's a good thing to do. I just yeah. realized it's, it's April. I just realized it's the 7th of April. I, it's oh, the yeah. 7th. Wow. I, I still thought we were like April. I thought like yesterday was yeah. April 1st. Yeah. <laughs> I, no, I really thought like yesterday was April 3rd. I, yeah. And, wow. Wow. Like four days disappeared. I have lost all sense of time and days. Are you, um, you said you're a nocturnal right now, right? Like, you're yeah, going to sleep at 3 I'm going to sleep. I would too. Although to, yeah, today, for some reason, I woke up with a start at 8 a.m. and couldn't fall back to sleep. So Interesting. Yeah. I woke up at 7. We woke up yeah. at 7. We had the really? same thing happening. Yeah. Didn't yeah. sleep well last night. I, I don't know if it's you guys, but I have this dream that I fall asleep and then then a monster called the coronavirus comes in and strangles me to death. <laughs> so, Aww. so I've been waking up like just being like, <laughs> which is really fun. Um, <laughs> and then I climax. Uh, but uh, that's uh, normal. Yeah, that's normal. That's fun for everybody. But no, but yeah. So today's been a lazy day. So I... I mostly just have this to look forward to. So well, I'm going to be nice. Re- all of my energy is being poured into this. Oh, good. <laughs> Over here, we have a no pants rule, but we've had a no pants rule since like what? 2005. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, we, I mean me. I by no pants, I mean. 2005. <laughs> no, he's. <laughs> And by no pants, I mean no underwear. 2005, I was in a junior year of high school. Sick. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, 2005, I was a freshman in college because I yeah. had to repeat a year because I failed out my first year. <laughs> so. You could have just left that part out. Yeah. No. And nobody would have known. God. Everybody needs to know. 2005, I was, in, I was in a band and I was touring all over the U.S. Well, what? Do. Well, we're cool. all here now. Yep. <laughs> Not on tour. <laughs> Today we're talking about uh, Aileen Wernos, who we covered her final interview not too long ago. So we, th- that's why I wanted to cover her 
pretty soon after we did that final interview. Yes. I didn't want too much time to go by. But at the same time, I was hesitant because I was like, oh, like Wornos like has been done so much and it's going to take a while to do her. And then the quarantine came along <laughs> and I had nothing but time. Yes. And if you guys are interested, <laughs> episode 45, we go and we, we do a uh, we discuss her last interview that she gave. And uh, but it hasn't the her life story hasn't been told by us, baby. <laughs> so I feel like. If I go back and listen to that interview now or our podcast on it now, com- compared to what I know about her now, I would highly regret most of the things that I said. <laughs> <laughs> Was it like blatant? Like, did you pronounce her name Eileen? No, no. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. I kept calling her. I kept cr- calling her Arlene. You're like, you guys, you know that Dexy Midnight Runner song is about her. <laughs> <laughs> so my sources for this episode are Monster, My True Story by Aileen Wernos and Christopher Berry. It was published in 2006. So this was prior to her execution. Various online genealogy reports and articles. And The Selling of a Serial Killer and The Life and Death of a Serial Killer documentaries by Nick Broomfield that were both done during while she was alive. So Aileen is interviewed in them. Um, the documentaries, you can take them or leave them because like, I guess word in the around the campfire is like Nick Broomfield isn't that great of a documentarian no what <laughs> i've seen a lot of his documentaries and he covers interesting things but he covers them in a way that is very amateurish no but yeah no. It, also, it also makes them very funny God. very funny it it is by far the most entertaining serial killer documentary i've ever seen <laughs> <laughs> i mean he's a, he's a ding he's a dingus though like he'll be like so you put gas in the car and then the car was able to move and like dude you yeah you fucking dink come on <laughs> meanwhile he's asking you this question as you've just arrived naked out of the bathroom and <laughs> didn't realize he was in the room <laughs> yeah exactly i've crawled in through the window is that all right your window was open i just uh i just crawled in with my sound equipment uh, <laughs> a lot of what uh, a lot of the source materials we have to consider biased. And so I've done my best to extract the facts from them as yeah. opposed to Aileen's opinions about stuff and the way that Nick would have spun stuff um, or, I, you know, might have spun some stuff. And then what I'm so, going to do is I'm going to bring you hard opinions with no facts. So I'm going to offer the, 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 the usual. Opposite. Yeah, the usual. Yes. <laughs> And I'm going to call a Southern judge in here to figure stuff out. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> That's oh, a no. callback to yeah. something you our, have not heard yet. <laughs> our upcoming, our upcoming Patreon um, content. Anyway. <laughs> Aileen Carol Wernos, born Aileen Pittman, was born on a leap year on February 29th, 1956. And she was a breached birth, which means she came out bottom first and was born in Detroit, Rochester, Michigan. She was born to parents, 14-year-old Diane Wuornos and 19-year-old Leo Dale Pittman. Jeez. 14 and 19. Yes. Yes. Um, It was heavily believed that Aileen was the result of the sexual abuse that Diane's father inflicted on her. So... No one really knows if Diane or if Aileen was a result of 
Diane's relationship with Leo, who in his own right is a pedophile because he was 19 when he, yeah, like when he married Diane. And he was having sex with a 14 year old. Exactly. Mm -mm. On top of that, Leo was described as quote unquote highly sexed and he worked as a handyman. So like whenever somebody says highly sexed, it, it, especially in this story, it just means you're fucking pervert. <laughs> highly sexed is how they say it. Yeah, they say yeah. highly sexed. Oh. <laughs> He's a pedophile. He's a rapist, essentially. <laughs> that is the kindest way to say somebody's a fucking pervert. Yeah, yeah. it doesn't, and it doesn't get any nicer for Leo. Oh, yeah. Diane and Leo split a couple of months before Aileen was born. He left Diane with Aileen and her older brother Keith. He didn't stick around. He wasn't like, get, he wasn't like, I'm going to, I may have been highly sexed before, but I'm going to hunker down. Now I'm a responsible 19 year old. <laughs> I'm going to be a responsible man. And yeah. I'm going to be, I'm going to be mediocre sexed for the rest uh, of my life. Yeah. I won't be as highly sexed as I've yeah. been in the past. Because I look into Aileen's eyes and I can see that this is my future. That wasn't, that wasn't <laughs> what happened. No, no. Oh, so. Okay. Uh, soon after he left, Leo was arrested for the kidnapping, raping, and sodomizing of a seven-year-old girl. Oh, okay. Years, All right. Years. Okay. Here's where we're going to enter what I feel like is a necessary evil, which is knock-knock jokes. And okay. Are you said, serious, dude? When something okay. is said that makes me uncomfortable, I'm going to tell a knock-knock joke. Knock-knock. Who's there? Alice. Alice who? Alice Fair in Love and War. Uh, oh, disgusting. Years later, in 1969, when Aileen was a little older, he fashioned a noose in prison and hung himself. Good. 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 Yeah. You know, sometimes suicide works. <laughs> I'm just going to yeah. say. Sometimes. It's true. It's true. When you're a pedophile, kidnapper, rapist, it works. Um, in 1960... Her mother abandoned Aileen and Keith to her own parents, Lori Wernos and Eileen Britta Wernos. So, Lori, you, your name comes up a lot in this story, but it's a man's name, but it's spelled the same. Well, he must be a very handsome, beautiful man <laughs> with, with a sparkling personality. Hold that thought. Oh, no. <laughs> Is he highly sexed? Is he high? Oh, no. Yes. <laughs> I hope he's highly, highly drugged and highly... Lori and Eileen lived in the dirt road town 24 miles outside of Detroit called Troy, Michigan. That sounds like the beginning of a a 90s sitcom. (laughs) Or the name of a guy in porno, Troy, Michigan. (laughs) (laughs) When Diane dropped them off, um, she said she'd be right back. But of course, she called them later that day and told her parents she would absolutely never return. Eileen. Not Aileen, Eileen. So we'll call her Britta from now on because that'll make it easier. Britta, her grandmother. Okay. Britta Britta and Lori uh, already had their own kids. Barry, Lori, spelled L-O-R-I. Okay. And Diane, who was the one that just left. How was the other Lori spelled? Like yours, L-A-U-R-I. Was there an E at the end or or is it just L-A-U? Really? L-A-U-R-I? Yeah, so the yeah. only two people in the world who spell their names with no E is me and a child molester. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you guys don't have much in common. 
Yeah, I mean, that's where the commonalities probably yeah. stop. Oh. Maybe. <laughs> no, I'm going to okay. say 100%. No. 100% that's where they stop. 100%. I was going to say maybe. I was going to say, maybe you guys have the same shoe size or something. That's all. Oh, okay. Yeah. I, I thought you were going to mention our love of children. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> At first, the grandparents never told the kids that they were their actual grandparents and not their parents. And they even went so far as to adopt them that same year um, so that they would never find out. So this is like a Jack Hopefully. Nicholson scenario, where it's like, they're your grandparents, but you think they're your parents. Is that what happened to Jack Nicholson? His mom, his sister, he found out that his sister was actually his mom. And this Ooh. actually happened to Ted Bundy, too. He found out his sister was his mom. Yeah. And his mom was his, the, guy, the woman she thought was his mom was his uh, grandmother. Yeah. And it goes like a step further here, right? Because if it had come back for sure that um, her grandfather was actually her father and her mom was actually her sister. Yeah. Yes. Uh, yeah. So Weird. she's 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 being set up for not great things. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. You know, I mean, it, she could turn it around. I feel like <laughs> that was kind of my takeaway from this. Like, I just like looking at what she'd been through in the beginning. I was just like, I feel very bad. Well, it's a for stew. Hard that she was dealt. It's always a stew know? with people. It's always a stew with like. You know, with people, it's always it's their upbringing, but then also how they react to it. So there are, there are people in life who've had these shitty, you know, but they don't turn out to be criminals. Sure. Sure. I still I still feel bad. At the age of six, Lee started developing an interest in fire and scarred her own face when trying to start a lighter fluid fire. Oh, throughout her childhood, her grandfather beat both her and her brother severely, both with a belt and a branch. He would scream at her as he beat her, telling her she should have never been born. And she quoted and she was quoted as saying that she quickly learned that the thicker the branch, the less it hurt. In the book, My Monster, My True Story, the author, Christopher Barry, points out an interesting fact. He says that both her and Douglas Clark, who we covered before in the Sunset Strip Killers. Yeah. Both said the same thing because they were both beat by branches by their um, fatherly figures. He said, the thicker the branch, the less it hurt. Do you know who else said that? Who? Michael Jackson. Ooh. Michael Jackson said it because Joe Jackson used to tell me, but like, go get the switch. The switch is when you get a tree branch from outside and then they bring it back. And then they, you know, you bring it back and then they beat you with it. And he said, if the, the thicker the branch, the more it didn't hurt. Yeah. Wow. Knock, knock. Who's there? Anita. Anita who? Let me in. Anita, borrow something. Oh, no, I don't like that one that much. (laughs) You'll try again later. On top of the branch thing, her grandfather would also have her ritualistically clean the belt, shine and clean the belt that she that he beat her with. Oh, okay. See, that's where it gets sadistic and creepy. I mean, it's it gotten it. that before, but <laughs> this is where it gets, this is where I'm starting to turn. <laughs> this is where you're, this is where you're starting to turn. I'm yeah, this is where I've ta- I'm ta- I was I've been accepting <laughs> up until <laughs> I've been kids will be kids up until this point. But this oh, is where okay. 
this is where oh I'm going to start to to say no, sir. <laughs> By the time Aileen was around nine years old, she was sleeping with her own brother, Keith, as well as being sexually abused by her grandfather. The neighborhood knew that Aileen and her brother were sleeping together and would often make fun of them when they were out in public. She was very unpopular and the other boys in her neighborhood would use her for sex. Many boys lost their virginity to her and would exchange cigarettes for sexual favors from her. The people in the neighborhood would call her the cigarette bandit or the cigarette pig. Testimony from children who were then adults uh, during the trial would recount a time when Lee was even pushed out of a moving van, had hit her head as other kids watched and no one moved to help her. There were multiple accounts of her being sexually abused by other boys in the neighborhood while she was incapacitated. By the age of 11, Aileen learned that she was adopted. And by the age of 12, Aileen was a heavy drinker. Knock, knock. You take this one. Uh, Who's there? Two. To who? It's actually to whom. (laughs) There you go. That's pretty good. I like that one. I enjoy that one. Deep sigh. (laughs) In the ninth grade, a chemical fire, her and her friends started permanently scarred her face and arms and forced her into bed rest for months afterwards. And that's on top of the lighter fluid scar. Yes. She's, oh, geez. Yeah. So she keeps starting fires because of her, like, interest in fire and they keep backfiring on her. Huh. I wonder why she never, why that never came to play anymore. Maybe it's because she kept getting burnt. (laughs) I think I answered my own question. She wasn't good at it. She wasn't good at the fire. Oh my God. Yeah, that's exactly it. (laughs) She wanted to get into pyro and she couldn't. Oh man. (laughs) Lee later met Mr. Portlock, who in the documentary is described as the local pedophile. Oh my God. Yeah, this is worse with a side of uh, worse. (laughs) There's a local pedophile. Known in the neighborhood as Chief, um, he suffered from cancer. And so she would just spend time at his house and play records on his record player while he gave her money and, you know, did creepy pedophile things. She also started getting kicked out and running away from her house. She would spend days, if not weeks at a time, sleeping in the woods in the winter in Michigan. Oh, Oh, man. And for fun, she would go to Michigan's infamous Seven Mile Road uh, with her friend Dawn, who remains her friend until her execution. Uh, And so they would go to Seven Mile Road and buy drugs uh, that Lee would do. And one time they even hitchhiked all the way to California together. Wow. You know, it's nice that she has a friend. She had one. Yeah, she had one friend. All you need is one, you know. I mean, I guess. (laughs) It's still pretty horrible. There's a, well, yeah, it's horrible, but she was her friend and, you know, she wrote, she was the only person that, like, she confided in, basically. And in the end, we'll see that Dong was so faithful to her that she was the one that collected her ashes. Oh, wow. At the end of it all. Mm. Wow. And there was, there's that book, uh, Dear Dawn, where it's uh, all the letters or many of the letters that Aileen wrote to Dawn while she was in prison. 
Hmm. Oh, well, that's, I mean, that's at least something. I mean, at least you can say that's something. Yeah. Right? Right? Right, guys? <laughs> that's something. <laughs> it sure is. Eventually, at the age of 15, Lee became pregnant. She was kicked out again and sent to a group home for girls until the birth, where the child was given up for adoption in 1971. She returned home and was kicked out again. The conditions in the house were much more grim as her grandmother, Britta, had now passed away under suspicious circumstances. The official reasoning was liver failure, but people suspected that her grandfather, Lori, actually killed his wife, Britta. I don't think I don't think Lori would have done that. I don't think Lori's a killer. <laughs> you, you, you think Lori's a stand-up guy? Yeah, he's just a rapist and a pedophile. And highly I, think sex. I think he's misunderstood. Uh, I think it was the town poisoner that, that, that poisoned Britta. Don't be poisoning my Britta. Okay, I have a question. Yes. Do did um the uh, uh put up her adoption daughter of Aileen? They disappeared into obscurity no one knows who they are they're not trackable i wonder if they ever found out who they maybe they found out man i wonder if they ever found out who, yeah because if they found uh, out who they came from then it's just like guys i, I think know. we obviously know who it is is it you it's kristen. <laughs> it's kristen bell oh yeah it makes way more sense she just she looks just like Ailey. It's star of frozen kristen bell <laughs> born 1971 yes kristen bell. yeah oh my god <laughs> obviously Sorry, Kristen. (laughs) (laughs) She listens. Yeah. So, you know. At 16, tired of being kicked out, she ran away from home finally and started hitchhiking and prostituting her way down uh, towards the southern states and really all across America. By 1976, her grandfather, Lori, killed himself by carbon monoxide poisoning after other suicide attempts. Ugh, Lee, Lee claims that she found the body, but later during trial, her adopted brother, Barry, later would say that he was the one that found the body. So I'm not really sure why they both want to lay claim to the fact that one of them found the body, but I assume that Barry wants to say that he's the one that found it so that the trauma associated with Aileen is less. Yeah, that could be true. To kind of be mm-hmm. like, well, she didn't have to see her fa- her grandfather, father, grandfather die or dead. I did. I don't know. I don't trust anybody named Barry. So No, it's no. He's a really shady, shady guy, too. Yeah. What is he like? I, the town, you know, peephole person? <laughs> like, what? what is he's this town? <laughs> well, what's a town people? <laughs> <laughs> it's where you go it's where everybody goes to look through the people yeah but it's yeah. a guy <laughs> it's just one guy and he and he puts up a cardboard thing with a cutout and <laughs> look in my mouth and see your future sticks yeah yeah you know what he's actually very generous he's the mouth part of the people he's not the dick yeah. part exactly you know? exactly exactly after her uh grandfather killed himself her biological mother, Diane, offered both her and Keith to come stay with her. They both declined, and um, this is when Lee kept just hitchhiking and prostituting her way out of Michigan. In 1974, under the alias Sandra Kresh, she was jailed in Jefferson County. Now, I believe this to be the first time that she was arrested. Okay. Uh, Jefferson County, Colorado. 
for drunk driving, disorderly conduct, and firing a 22 caliber pistol from a moving vehicle. She skipped bail ahead of her trial. So she was having a grand old time. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that sounds like a good Friday. It sounds like, and, and also I love the name Sandra Crush. That's a, yeah. that's a sexy name. Lady Crush. <laughs> yeah. I'm crushing it, guys. <laughs> In March 1976, two months after her 65-year-old grandfather's death, at the age of 20, she met 69-year-old Louis Fell when he picked her up hitchhiking. They got married and lived in Daytona Beach, Florida. Louis was a wealthy guy. He was like the president of the yacht club in Daytona. Uh, and oh my God. like he was, you know, he was just like he was up there. He was old and he had found a 20 year old that was willing to marry him. I get 69 in Daytona. Yeah. All right. All right. I like all right. Eileen. Eileen. She's got heart. <laughs> <laughs> Lewis was a well-connected man who carried around a plastic holder with the business cards of all the judges, state attorneys, and police officers that he knew. Oh, I'm like assuming he was the kind of guy that would like pull this out and show off about yes. which judges he knew yeah. and all that and stuff. And guys, not to mention plastic holder. Pretty yeah. cool. Plastic holder. Plastic but he holder. would do that for like shitty things. Like he couldn't get a return on a t-shirt at TJ Maxx and he'd be like, <laughs> let me see which judge I'm going to call to have you arrested. <laughs> yeah. He tried to turn in like a 10 set coupon for cereal. Yeah. And when they were like, it's expired, sure. He'd like call police officer. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Let me pull out my plastic case. I'm going to see what judge, I'm going to ruin your life right now, son. It's like, I don't know what plastic case they mean. So I imagine he pulls out an entire Rolodex <laughs> every time. He's just carrying a Rolodex. <laughs> Carries a Rolodex to the fucking Burger King. He's like, I need some ketchup for my burger. And they're like, you know, have anymore he's like well let me go through and see who i can call <laughs> yeah. to raise a living hell in your life you son of a bitch and then i <laughs> and then i would be in the background going how does burger king not have any more ketchup why is that not a thing that you guys make sure you have stock of <laughs> i'd be behind you and be like how come phones aren't with us right now and why don't they have cameras on them <laughs> Oh man, that's like every time we go to our Del Taco around here, we order nachos, and every single time the guy's like, "No chips, no chips." He doesn't say we don't have chips right now, and he's just like, "We're like, can we get some nachos?" No chips. <laughs> like what? He like no he said, chips. He said defeated when he says it too. He's like, "No chips." I don't know what to tell you. The, no, no chips. The Starbucks by my house, they've started doing this thing, which I feel like they think is is self-efficient, but it's just tiring because what they'll do is they'll, they used to say, what can I get started for you today? But now they'll say, thank you for coming to Starbucks. We are out of the following peanut butter, <laughs> turkey pesto. Ham. It's, like, it's just like they just list everything <laughs> Hey, listen, before we get this thing, fucking thing started, just so you know, it's not going to go down the way you want it to. And it's always things that I usually order. So I'm always like, are they doing this for everybody? Or are they doing this for me? Like, what's like, <laughs> yeah, it's for you. Don't you notice? They're like, hey, Lori, just so you know, we're out of peanut butter, cheese sticks, <laughs> almond croissants. We're not. <laughs> OK, but do you we're not going to give you extra whipped cream today. No chips. Starbucks sucks. 
Lee would often leave her geriatric husband at home and go to bars. Shocker. She's 20. Well, yeah, because he would go to bed at 430. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I also like the term geriatric husband. (laughs) That's a band for sure, man. (laughs) (laughs) She would uh, often get super drunk. Um, One time she got arrested for throwing a cue ball at the bartender of a uh, of a bar that was calling her to re- like he asked her to leave and she got pissed and threw a cue ball so hard that it got wedged in the wall behind him wow oh, wow that's an arm yeah yeah she was strong she seemed like she was super strong wow. yeah it wasn't long before she became abusive towards lewis one time she gave him a black eye and when he tried to control her and cut off her allowance so she would calm down, she beat him with his own walking stick. Oh, my God. He quickly obtained a restraining order and then a divorce and didn't look back. Probably got out his, his plastic card thing. And just was like, <laughs> I need to get a, a lawyer to fight you off. <laughs> As a matter of fact... When Lee finally left for the last time, she took that plastic card holder <laughs> with her. That's what you get. And it'll come back into play a little later. Oh I don't want God. you to leave the house. I don't want you to leave the house wearing what you... Oh, my, oh, stop hitting. Wait, hold on. Let me go through. Wait, hold on. Oh, oh stop my face. <laughs> Judge, Judge Barnes. I Judge Barry. Lino and Barnes. And <laughs> ow, ow. Eight hundred. <laughs> ow, If only I'd worked more on my upper body and not on collecting business cards from judges. <laughs> oh, why didn't I go through what you went through? <laughs> Terrible. Oh, my goodness. Why Around don't I same- understand your past experiences better? <laughs> Soon after her divorce was official, Keith, Lee's older brother, died of throat cancer. His army life insurance paid out and left Aileen with $10,000 which in today's money would be around $45,000. Hmm. Lee blew it on a car that got repossessed, a bunch of speaker equipment that she had nowhere to put because she didn't have a house uh, and a bunch of other stupid shit uh, in less than three months. Oh, wow. God. Wow. <laughs> Lee went through a slew of more arrests, a few more relationships. Um, around 25, she started exhibiting some suicidal behavior. She had another, she had a one year stint in jail and a notably peculiar occurrence where she stayed with a truck driver in a place called New Smyrma Beach, which sounds gross. It's like, it I sounds, guess sounds so good. It's near Daytona, but it's, it sounds like, um, smegma to me. So yeah. it's just <laughs> New Smegma Beach. Oh God, look at all this. Florida. Smegma. Yeah, look at all this smegma I got. <laughs> Their town pervert is really is really. Gross. <laughs> yeah. Their town pervert is a talking condom. <laughs> yes, exactly. Just a, just a receptacle of ugh. <laughs> anyway, he said he needed someone to clean the house, and that two men had dropped her off, and he liked her because he wanted someone quiet because it was a quiet neighborhood. And that she sometimes would lose her temper, but overall would catch herself. It's like, so two men dropped her off to you? And then, and then what? 
you gave them money and she was just like your weird house slave i don't understand i feel like how that works it's it must be a florida thing i feel like he told a tree stump that he wanted a a a maid (laughs) what and then the magical tree stump brought uh, two men of new smegma yeah of new smegma told (laughs) showed up on his doorstep and just dropped this woman at his feet and he said the tree stump has answered my prayers. <laughs> <laughs> I ask if in the stump it receiveth upon me. Yeah. <laughs> I have a question. Um, what year was that? Why did my voice get all low and weird? <laughs> no, was, what year was that? Do you know? It was around uh, 83. I kind of feel like based on... The things that I've seen in the news from around that time, people were getting bought and sold. <laughs> no, like, like, what? no, like, I guess so. People, I, mean, I mean, it still happens today. There's, yeah, but like, people were kidnapped a lot in the early 80s, and then somebody would trade them. Oh, like, I got this girl, or I got these people, I'll trade you that for this. You know, it felt like a, a thing that was kind of commonly happening. Yeah, maybe, uh, I guess, human trafficking was, yeah, more rampant i wouldn't say more rampant because it's still very rampant yeah. but more casual i got, I got more it. of a <laughs> i got, I got, the, I, got the, I got the i got what happened so you said he was a truck driver right yes okay so you have these two guys who work with him to sell stuff that has quote-unquote fallen off the back of his truck okay <laughs> and they come up short on their payment because it's bob and jim and bob goes to the bar and bets it all on a pool game that he loses. So he's like, all right, uh, to somebody, right? And then so then he's like, all right, well, we got to give this truck driver his money because he's not going to give us our product and then we're not going to be able to sell it and make our money. And so then they see Eileen just kind of swirling around the bar. Aileen. Aileen. They see Eileen swirling around the bar and they're like, I got it. They kidnap her. They bring him to his doorstep and he goes, the tree stump has answered my prayers. <laughs> and they're like, great. He's just crazy enough to take this. So then they, then boom, skip boom. I think that's, I think that's what happened, guys. No chips. I think that's pretty good. <laughs> In 1984, she was arrested for forging two checks from her boss to herself. I note this only because it's kind of weird because one is for $5,000. And the other one is for $595. Class. I just don't understand. (laughs) First of all, it's her from her boss to herself. So it's like the worst possible checks to forge. That's dumb for sure. (laughs) That is dumb. dumb. The smart thing is $595. $55.95. I would love it. I would love it if the $5,000 one was first and she got away with it. And she's like, I just need $594 more to get. Another speaker for my ass. house. <laughs> and that's the one he catches on to. <laughs> In 1985, at the age of 29, Lee meets Tony, last name unknown. This marks her first lesbian relationship. Oh, Tony's a woman. Tony is spelled T-O-N-I. Yeah, Tony's okay. a woman. They bought a big amount of steam cleaning equipment and planned to start a business out in Orlando. <laughs> Just. Just like lesbians, you meet up and then you start a corporation, you know? I, mean, I, I, didn't, I didn't want to say anything, but 
Yeah. I, mean, <laughs> I thought LLC stood for lesbian lovers coupling. Yes, that's exactly <laughs> what it is. My girlfriend and I have an LLC. We uh, no. Yeah. Yeah, we it's ship uh, we ship pallets to Costco. So, you know. <laughs> <laughs> empty pallets. Just empty pallets, nothing on them. Hey, they got to go somewhere. So, you know, they got to come from somewhere and they got to go somewhere. And that's what we the- do lesbian DIY thing and make a coffee table out of pallets yet no no not yet but that's only because I don't have the hardware to do it which is a saw and an open space to store a pallet for for seven years while I go eventually I'm gonna do it after some months Lee returned home to find that the equipment all her stuff and Tony was gone Tony had left her with just a $495 phone bill and an electric fan. Aileen would often refer back to Tony during later interviews, saying she was very upset that she lost the business that she could have had for, her re- for the rest of her life. But I also think that she just felt super spurned by Tony. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because this is the first time that, that Tony's the one that left her, right? This is the first time that's happened, right? Or has that happened before? I mean, no, it happened. divorced her, but... Everyone leaves her. Um, I didn't go into too much detail about all the the boyfriends before that, but there's a a number of boyfriends. When she has her stint in jail for a year, she has a a lot of like of those pen pals. When she gets out, she stays with one of them and he quickly learns how unstable she is. So he tries to like drop her off at a rehab and they won't take her because she says that all her problems are his fault. (laughs) And then she... (laughs) She meets like she meets another guy. And basically everybody um, that she meets and hooks up with and stays with, they quickly learn how you okay. know, volatile she is and they reject her. And and that, that just and, causes her to be more volatile because then she's yes. like, everybody leaves me. So, yeah, she's yes. burned by men completely. And then she's like, all right, well, women. And then she's like, motherfucker, <laughs> everybody. Exactly. Everybody leaves her. And that ultimately ends up being the driving force for why she does what she does with uh, Tyra, who was her who was her lover during the the whole killing spree. Yeah. Because she's so desperate for Tyra not to leave her that she will do absolutely anything because she's tired of people leaving her event. You know, that's, that's Aileen's whole thing. If you have time, there's a podcast called making a monster, the tapes. And there's one particular episode that is about um, the, a professor slash criminologist who interviewed Aileen before, uh, before the trial to see how fit she was to stand trial. And he diagnoses her with possible borderline personality disorder that comes as a result of all the rejection and terrible, you know, abandonment that has happened to Aileen throughout her entire life. Because if we look back, she was abandoned by her mother. She was, you know, pretty much she was abused. And anybody who dies, I'm sure she saw as an abandonment. So when her grandmother died and then her grandfather died, regardless of how abusive they might have been, it's still abandoning her. Yeah. You know, everyone leaves. Everyone leaves her. And that's that's what she's so desperately trying to avoid yeah. all the time. Yeah. And Tyra is just like, I feel like Tyra is, 
I mean, I know I, uh, Aileen killed those men, but Tyra, I feel like, is is worse. Out of Tyra's a cunt. Tyra's she's, a real fucking she's huge fucking yeah yeah. She's terrible. All Tyras are bitches. Too much? Is that true? Um. <laughs> she also spells it T Y R I A. Tyria. Uh, is it? But uh, so but I think it's Tyra. Anyway, we'll, we're about to get to her. So after. Tony leaves Lee. Lee borrows the alias Lori Grody from an aunt in Michigan throughout. Uh, she would use throughout many times later on. That was my nickname in junior high, but that's just because I didn't shower. Oh, <laughs> it wasn't like a Josie Grossy kind of, or jo- what no. was it? <laughs> it was Grody Lori. No, it wasn't. No. You're like, no, it wasn't. Nobody had a good rhyme scheme going for my name, so they couldn't come up with anything. Um, Flory, Lori. They like, would just like flowers. They would just yell. You smell. <laughs> That's <what> they, <laughs> they were blunt. Cash. Yo. Knock knock. Who's there? Voodoo. Voodoo. Who? Voodoo. You think you are? These are horrible. Hey, they're knock knock jokes. I mean, there's good knock knock jokes out there, like this one. Knock, knock. Who's there? Khalid. Khalid who? Call it fate. <laughs> Call it luck. That one's not going to make Call it. Cut. <laughs> <laughs> I, I came up with that on the spot. That was crap. That's pretty good for coming up with it on the spot. Thank you. That is. Okay, oh, you ready. came up with that on the spot? I did. No chips? Around a year later, in June of 1986, Lee meets Tyra Moore at the Zodiac Bar in Daytona, Florida, which was a gay bar, which I'm sure was one of the very few gay bars at the time there, if not very few ever. And it was probably a secretive gay bar. It was probably like a bar that everybody was like, come on in and watch some sports. And then he gets <laughs> They're like, what sports? Curling. Yeah. No one goes in. Some guy goes in. He's like, this ain't sports. <laughs> what do they say in that documentary? They go, oh, but there's a bunch of flat crackers in here. <laughs> <laughs> That's the word for lesbian. That flat is crackers. Flat I don't crackers. even know what that one means. I can't I, even I like. Can't, I don't even. I can't even. What does picture, that one mean? I can't even picture what it means. I don't even know. Like. I would love if somebody could break down what that meaning is for me. It, wait, did they say flat crackers or flap crackers? I think flat or flat. flap. Flat. Would flap mm. be better? Like the vagina flaps? I would imagine. Oh, maybe it is flap crackers. And they're like, they're like, oh. 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 He's, she's a flap cracker. She's Back to the lesbian flaps. bar. Also, just <laughs> FYI. Just so you guys know, June 1986, that's when a little Lori and Billy Roggenkamp were born. So. Aww. It was the year of love. <laughs> well, the, year of, the year of high sex. <laughs> Sorry. Oh. <laughs> Terrible. <laughs> At the writing of her book with Christopher Berry, she had this to say about Tyra. It was love beyond the imaginable. Earthly words cannot describe how I felt about Tyra. I thought Tyra must be taken care of as she herself had never been. The only reason I hustled so hard all those years was to support her. 
I did what I had to do to pay the bills because I didn't have another choice. I had warrants out for my arrest. I loved her too much. Then the fucking bitch sold me down the river. I hate the bitch. It's valid. It's valid. And yes, at this point in 1985, there were multiple bench warrants out for her arrest because every time she would get arrested, she would just skip, make bail and then just skip town. She would never show up. So there were multiple warrants out for her under her aliases and under her own name. Tyra had received an insurance payout from a car accident and had left her parents' home in Caddis, Ohio for Florida. She worked as a laundry maid at the El Caribe Hotel and lived with her friend Cammie Green and her husband, Cammie's husband, after getting evicted from her most recent apartment. The Greens asked Ty to leave after she met Eileen and started bringing her over because, quote, they didn't want that kind of lifestyle in their house. When they met, Lee told Ty that she had a steam cleaning business. So this was she was still sticking to the story about the steam cleaning business. And she would even. I use a lot of steam. (laughs) (laughs) Or as you call it, rage. (laughs) I just. Well, how do you get the steam, Lee? I just think about it real hard. (laughs) (laughs) She would leave. uh, Whenever she would stay over at Cammy's place with Ty, she would leave daily with a suitcase. But one day, Lee arrived back with a black eye and said that she had been raped by a stranger for six hours. Subsequently, Cammie checked the briefcase and found it was empty except for condoms and men's business cards. When they left Cammie's after, you know, she asked them to leave, Lee took Cammie's ID with her. So she took Cammie's identity as well. Huh. I should note, too, that Cammie is super Christian and Ty was raised a Baptist Christian as well. So a lot of the connections that she had at first to people in Florida, when she first moved down there were through the church. So a lot of them were, if not all of them were super judgmental of the fact that she was hanging out with Aileen because it was super obvious that they were in the relationship and they weren't just friends. Yeah. Well, it's like, it's just like young, you know, love kind of try. You think that you're being coy, but you're really like, you know, you're constantly on top of each other. And it's like, Mm -hmm. oh yeah, those two are probably definitely fucking. (laughs) Yeah. 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 (laughs) Up until this point, everyone described Ty as a sweet, soft-spoken person. She quit her job at the laundry, as the laundry maid and only Lee worked gaining money by prostituting herself. They stayed at the El Caribe Hotel for a while. And then with the money Ty borrowed from a friend, they got a trailer and moved into the Ocean Villager Camper Resort in Ormond by the Sea. But they trashed their trailer and the space around it. And always had weird, shady people over and would often walk around in just their underwear outside. They were finally kicked out one early morning when a hail of gunfire and loud country music came from their trailer wow and that was just the tv (laughs) (laughs) ty would pick up a job here and there and lee would keep hooking hitchhiking on the interstate getting a john and getting dropped off at the next exit she was called an exit to exit hooker for this reason which is just how do you get 
back to your first location. That's what I want to know. Hitchhike. You thought you toot your way back. Yeah. Okay, but like, what happens if you're like, I'm done for the day. I don't want to hook anymore. But you're like, not near your location. You got to toot home. You You got it. Or you maybe, I mean, I'm sure there were often times where she would simply hitchhike. You know? Okay. Um, because it was much more normal back then, too, to be a hitchhiker. It's not like today where you know not to pick hitchhikers up for the most part. Yeah, yeah. you go on an app and you call it and then they come and pick you up personally. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> now we have class about it. Sophistication. I also think that if you're a professional prostitute, you probably know when to split it. So, like, if you know that your average, and this was Aileen's average, was 12 men a day. Jesus. Then you know that by the sixth, you got to start making your way home. Otherwise, That's you're true. never going to get back. Yeah, I guess you can learn that through traffic and stuff. <laughs> yes. Also, <laughs> like, also, like, I mean, I gotta be honest, I, 12 doesn't seem like a whole hell of a lot. I mean, are we talking just strictly sex sex? Or are we talking like blowies? Because if it's it, blowies, I could do I could do 12 dudes. Oh, God, no, you can't. You say that because you're a lesbian. You don't know. I'm just saying that if it was my job, (laughs) if it was my job, I could suck off 12 dudes. Okay. Well, you know. I mean, how much do you hate your job? You've, you've, (laughs) (laughs) you've often put out in the podcast that you're willing to, for whatever reason, sell your body for weird things. (laughs) I'm just saying if it was my job, (laughs) I'm not saying I would, I would do it recreationally. But if I decided tomorrow that I was like, oh, my job is going to be, you know, hitchhiking my way and and using my body as currency, then, yeah, I would be like, okay, I would even try and sell it. I'd be like, hand jobs are two dollars. Blowjobs are five dollars. Vaginal sex is one hundred (laughs) and fifty dollars. Nice of you to have your price chart. Right? Yeah. Yeah. The there way. you go. Also, I just want to say this. If you are going to suck 12 dicks. You got to think about it. You're not just going to go MAGA, MAGA. That's why that's. Why is it MAGA? Why is it a Trump thing? Because it's a fucking Trump thing. It's a perfect blowjob. It's the perfect blowjob. Next time I give you or sex, I'm going to try to say MAGA. Don't do it. Don't do it. Don't do that. Please do. And let report back to me. Also, the thing about that is you have to do that. And then you got to wait for the next guy waiting is the hardest part because you're living inside of what just happened. You got to be like, that was fucking. Well, no, oh, yeah, probably... I would be, I would be a wreck of myself. I would be on drugs and alcohol oh, okay. and I'd be, I'd be drinking Listerine. Like it's Coca-Cola. Like I would be, you know, I'm not saying it would be a great life. I'm just saying I could do it. <laughs> Good God. Okay. I look, I... <laughs> I'm just saying if I needed to put myself in that situation, look, we don't know what's going to happen. A month from now, we don't know what's what? going to be needed. I am willing to give my stop. I'm willing to. Lori, <laughs> you're right. We don't know what's going to happen a month from now. So it could be case- we could be going back to highway rules. You know, uh, ask, Lori, no. cash or grass. <laughs> you hear it. You heard it here first. Lori is more than willing to become a lot lizard and an exit to exit <laughs> hooker. <Lot> lizard. <laughs> no, no, no chips, honey. No chips. No chips for you. No chips. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying I could do it. That's all. I, I have I, I confidence in myself. 
I want you guys' first uh, uh, merchandise to be a shirt that says no chips, honey. <laughs> <laughs> and could you imagine how like angry you must get when you get home? I mean, like I could only imagine how angry I would be if I got home from like a regular job and like my girlfriend was like, yeah, I just sat in bed all day and watched TV, didn't do shit. But like if I got in bed from a job yeah, where right? I was like had to fuck a bunch of dudes. Like Right, right. I'm like, losing my mind. I would be like, like, I will kill you. <laughs> where is dinner? Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, do something. Oh it, yeah, my God. Ties sucked. Uh so money was always tight and they were always moving because of failure to pay rent, obviously. They were for whatever reason always trying to get enough money to get down to Miami, but it was never enough. I think just like in the, uh, in the movie, this is one of the few parts where it's pretty accurate, is that um, there was always this promise of like, we're going to party, we're going to have a good time. And so I think that the golden land for that was Miami because they're in Florida, right? So yeah. like, that's the, that's the land of, of partying. Um, so they were always trying to get down there, but they never had enough money to do so. Um, do you think if they made it to Miami, things would have turned around? No, no. I, I, I think they would have found the magic tree stump and I think they would have been able to heal themselves. Well, I mean, yeah. hi- history, history shows that Miami is just a place of wholesomeness and opportunity. Fun. Obviously. Opportunity, sure. I mean, it's where Pitbull lives, so it's got to be magical, you know? Hey, shout out to Pitbull. Yeah, he listens. <laughs> uh, between Christmas of 1989 and New Year's Eve of obviously 1990, um, a man named James Dalla Rose picked up Aileen on the interstate. She claimed to be a high-class call girl and pulled out Lewis's old business cards. Um, was it in the plastic case? Yes. <laughs> Fuck. Yes. It was like crack. <laughs> yeah, it has like meth on it and shit. Yeah. <laughs> and like seam, dried semen. Yeah. She said that these people on the cards were her clients. And this is interesting. Let's compare, Lori. What was what was your price chart? There it was two dollars for a blowjob. No, two dollars for a hand job. Five dollars okay. for a blowjob. One hundred and fifty dollars okay. for for sex. Okay, so she quoted James a hundred dollars for sex in the motel. So you're charging fifty more than her. Okay. Seventy five dollars for sex in the woods. Ooh. And thirty dollars for head in the car. She didn't quote how much a hand. Handy would be so she did gonna... significantly lowball, pun intended. The the um, because <laughs> they're older, because they're older guys, yeah, because they're older, <laughs> they're prostate, they're already sitting on their balls. Uh, she did, um, so she did try and do the the blowjob cheaper, okay, yeah, because the blowjob would be in the car. And then, then, you know, she would just move on to the next one. See, I think the thing, reason why I would, do, I would maybe, <laughs> I would maybe do that, but then I would also offer $2 hand jobs. Cause I'm telling you, if I could just give handies all day, oh, that would be, I might even start doing that. <laughs> I mean, would build up your forearm strength a lot. Oh, could you imagine my grip strength? Oh, that would be great. Well, I would, there's, there's an art to the handy. I'd finally be able to palm a basketball. You know, and people be like, how could you do that? Your hands are so small. I'd be like, well, I've been rubbing dudes off left and right. So <laughs> you, you do have adorably small hands. I have very small hands. They're very, very small. <laughs> and They're also very that's another reason a bonus 
for hand jobs. Your penis will look huge in my hands. <laughs> but my penis is so small. <laughs> Doesn't matter. <laughs> Doesn't matter, sad dog. I'll even give you a handy. Okay. <laughs> All I have is $2. <laughs> Great. James said that he sensed that Aileen sensed that he had money. So when he. Probably because he says, I have money. These guys think that they're so coy. I picked up on it. No, you probably just said, I have a lot of money. <laughs> <laughs> well, once she learned that he had money or assumed that she did, she insisted on sex in the woods, which doesn't makes sense in terms of her price range because the sex in the woods is $25 less than the sex in the motel. It's 75 for sex in the woods and 100 for sex in the motel. And as we'll learn later, um, all of her victims were shot in the, were killed in the woods. Okay. So that was interesting. Well, she did live in the woods. So maybe she feels more, yeah, maybe she feels more comfortable in the woods. Yeah. Mm. He refused her offer and she became super agitated and he dropped her off at some interstate exit and she, you know, stormed off and slammed the door and all this stuff. I think the reason why she probably said Woods is because the hotel, you have to deal with like a person at the door. You have to deal with. So if she's trying, if she's planning on killing and robbing him, there's a lot more possible witnesses than if she just brought him into the woods. Yeah, I think I think she maybe didn't plan on killing him and this is all speculation we don't know because nothing ever happened to james yeah but i think she definitely planned to rob him and like you said she lived in the woods she probably was like i can make my way in the woods he'll never find me yeah (laughs) i know these woods like the back of my hand i can do it (laughs) yeah your your impression of her is pretty solid (laughs) what probably ended up happening was was he she probably said i don't want people to see me fuck you let's go in the woods (laughs) he was like no, thank you, madam. And that was it. And then he's like, I think she wanted to ram me because I'm so wealthy. <laughs> yeah, hey, all these men said. Hey, just so you know, you're a low point for me. So we should probably go to the woods. <laughs> oh, <laughs> have you ever been told that? That's heartbreaking. Aww. Not me, but I had a friend. Got, he got <laughs> called up. No, 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 okay. not joking. He got he was he literally he a woman called him and said, I. I am I'm so I've been sober a couple years now and I just want to say thank you because I had a one night stand with you and I knew that that was my rock bottom. Oh my god. Yeah. Wow. She he could have done without that. I know. Sure. That's what I said. I was like why did it was like she was like I'm making amends. I was like what amends? You're telling him that <laughs> Yeah, I guess that that she was maybe she was going through the steps and that's one of the steps is like asking for forgiveness and making amends but like I think somebody should have been like you don't need to tell that guy. No. Because if anything, he was walking away from it thinking, I had a great time. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. There was nothing to amend. (laughs) Well, to be fair, on her end, and, and, you know, that sucks for your friend, but on her end, it probably was empowering to her to be able to say that to men who, in her eyes, treated her, like, badly or nothing or, you know? You know what I mean? Yeah. So, who knows? Anyway, uh, I'm still on your friend's side, and... You know, yeah. I, I bet he 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 did a great job. Yeah. <laughs> does, does, he, does your friend have the kind of confidence where somebody would tell him that he'd be like, hey, all right, go, whatever. 
he has a kind of confidence where he says he doesn't care, but then he's like just sl- slowly drinking a beer, staring blankly into nothing for like days at a time. <laughs> 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 you know, I think he's probably he's probably in jail now. So it works. <laughs> it works out. On Thursday, November 30th, 1989, on a rainy day, Richard Charles Mallory was stuck in traffic on Interstate Highway 4. Through the sheets of rain, he saw a woman hitchhiking on the side of the road. He backed up his Cadillac Coupe de Ville and picked up Aileen Wernos. He told her he was headed to Daytona, and Aileen said that was fine, that she was headed that way too. Aileen had no way of knowing that Richard Mallory had spent the better part of the last 10 years in the Maryland State Mental Institution for attempted rape. She didn't know that he would often close up shop at his electronics business to go on binge drinking weekends and to pay for uh, perverted sex with both strippers and prostitutes. Richard would that same night become Aileen's first victim. We'll go into the details about it on the next episode because that's where we're going to stop for today. Oh, so this guy is a he what he's a convicted rapist. He just he got out of jail. And it should be. Yes. So this is essentially a, a when a tornado meets a tsunami kind of thing. Yes. A tsunami. A tsunami. Yeah. There a we go. Turnami? Turnami. Turnami. <laughs> knock, knock. Who's there? Smell map. Smell map who? Oh, you're disgusting. <laughs> <laughs> Smell your poo. Uh, no, okay. thank you. All right. <laughs> it smells like roses and rainwater. <laughs> oh, he just wanted to give you a thank MAGA blowjob. MAGA, MAGA, MAGA. <laughs> so yeah, that so is crazy. Next episode, we'll get into her victims, the rest of her relationship with Tyra, and the trial. Thank you guys for listening. I'm so sorry. Oh my God. Jesus Christ. God fucking damn it, Cash. They ruined the whole thing. Now we got to start over. Bless you. Thank you. Bless you. No chips. No No fucking chips. I hope you all are doing well. Stay safe. And we will be back. Bye. Take care of yourselves. Oh, follow us on uh, social medias. Bye. Yes. If you or someone you care about is suffering from abuse, please reach out to the following resources 24 hours a day that will also be available in the description of this episode. To report child abuse, please reach out to 1-800-4-A-CHILD, 422-4454. For help with domestic abuse, please reach out to RAIN at 1-800-621-HOPE. The HIPS hotline is available for those involved in drug use and sexual exchange 24 hours a day at 1-800-676-HIPS. If you suspect someone is suffering from elder abuse, please call the adult abuse hotline at 